This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on Africa News Tonight... We have to recognize that the chief drivers of the food crisis are still with us. And it behooves us, therefore, to, to be looking uh, at solutions for all of those uh, or adaptive measures. That's Kerry Fowler, U.S. Special Envoy for Global Food Security, on forecasts that Africa's food crisis is likely to worsen this year. Details coming up. Also, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has started her 10-day Africa tour. Gabon's foreign minister dies from a heart attack at a cabinet meeting. And the UN reports seven people died in a militia attack in northeastern Congo. These stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has begun a 10-day trip to Africa to discuss economic growth strategies and reaffirm America's commitment to strengthening ties with the continent. She began her trip with a visit to a U.S.-funded business incubator for youth and women in Dakar, Senegal, as Anika Hammerschlag reports. As the first female U.S. Treasury Secretary, Yellen got a warm round of applause from the businesswomen at Friday's meeting. In a speech following the visit, Yellen emphasized America's intention to expand trade and investment in Africa. The United States is all in on Africa and all in with Africa. And our engagement is not transactional. It's not for show and it's not for the short term. Yellen's trip comes on the heels of last month's U.S.-Africa Leader Summit, where President Joe Biden committed $55 billion in economic health and security aid to the continent over the next three years. Several members of the Biden administration, such as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Special Climate Envoy John Kerry, have already traveled to Africa. President Biden, the First Lady Jill Biden, and Vice President Kamala Harris also have plans to visit. U.S. engagement with Africa took a backseat during the Trump administration. Meanwhile, Beijing was investing billions in African infrastructure projects and becoming Africa's largest trading partner, while Russian-backed paramilitary forces fanned out across the continent. Yellen's visit sends a clear message that the U.S. is ready to compete. Africa is home to some of the world's largest mineral reserves, which will be critical for the Biden administration's plans to promote clean energy. Sarah Dansman is an international studies professor at Indiana University Bloomington. The U.S. wants to emphasize that U.S. investment is a better and more reliable way to deliver widely shared growth and prosperity across the continent, precisely because it is transparent, aligned with values of democracy and human rights, and also tied to governance reforms to reduce corruption. That's a stark contrast to the Chinese model of investment, which has prioritized quick construction and resource extraction over good governance requirements, she added. While in Senegal, Yellen will also tour the former slave trading post of Gorey Island and meet with Senegalese president and head of the African Union, Macky Sall, as well as ministers of finance and economy. She plans to discuss infrastructure projects, pandemic preparedness, democracy strengthening, and anti-corruption partnerships. She'll also highlight the steps the U.S. has taken to counter the spillover effects of Russia's war in Ukraine by means of food security assistance. Russia's war and weaponization of food has exacerbated food insecurity and caused untold suffering. 
and the global economic headwinds caused by the actions of a single man, President Putin, is creating an unnecessary drag on Africa's economy. Yellen also acknowledged Africa's susceptibility to the climate crisis, noting that 17 of the world's top 20 climate-vulnerable countries are African. She announced U.S. plans to expand partnerships with Africa on conservation, climate adaptation, and access to clean energy, and noted Biden's intentions to provide over $1 billion to support African-led climate resilience efforts. Yellen acknowledged America's contribution to the construction of West Africa's largest wind farm, located just outside Dakar. On Saturday, she'll attend the groundbreaking of a U.S.-financed rural electrification project that's being led by an American engineering firm. After Senegal, Yellen will continue her trip with stops in Zambia and South Africa. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. The French news agency AFP reports that Gabon's foreign minister died today of a heart attack at a cabinet meeting. A source told AFP that 62-year-old Moussa Adamo, an ally of President Ali Bongo Ondimbo, lost consciousness and was taken to a military hospital when he died just after midday. Bongo described him as a great diplomat, a true statesman, as well as a loyal and faithful friend. He added that it is a huge loss for for Gabon. Officials in Cameroon say separatists have killed two election officials in Bamenda, capital of the northwest region. The rebels have vowed to disrupt Cameroon's March 12th Senate elections. The government says election preparations will continue despite the killings, as Moki Edwin Kindeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Cameroonians said they got up on Friday morning and noticed that the military presence in major streets of Bamenda, the capital of Cameroon's northwest region, had increased. The military said several homes, especially in the area around Foncha Street, a popular neighborhood, were searched Thursday night, but did not say why the search was carried out or if any arrests were made. It is on Foncha Street that the body of Gilbert Yufela Tateng District Chairman of Cameroon's Elections Management Body in Jakedi Town, about 90 kilometers north of Bamenda, was found Thursday morning. The military said Tateng was shot and killed Wednesday night. The elections body, Elekam, said Tateng was preparing for Cameroon's March 12 senatorial elections. Elekam also said John Fai its official in charge of organizing elections in Momo, an administrative unit in the northwest region, was also killed on Thursday. Both Elekam and the government of Cameroon say the officials were killed by separatists. Capo Daniel, spokesperson and deputy defense chief of the separatist Ambazonia Defense Forces, said the two officials defied separatist orders and were involved in election preparations. Any Amazonian citizen that participate in Cameroon senatorial elections will face serious consequences. The officials of Cameroon that are charged to conduct such elections will be haunted by our forces for charges of enabling colonialism. Two officials of ELECAM have already suffered the fate for collaborating with an enemy state to enforce its laws on our people. Separatists dismissed local media reports that Fai was killed by an angry mob. Ambazonia is what English-speaking separatists call the breakaway state they are fighting to carve out from majority French-speaking Cameroon. 
President Paul Bia last week announced that Senate elections will be held March 12th. Elecam staff are in their offices accepting candidate applications ahead of the January 28th registration deadline. Elecam Chairperson Eno Abrams Egwe told a news conference in Yaoundé this week that security has been improved following separatist threats to disrupt the elections. We must be ready to meet the challenges ahead and by so doing, bring our efficient contributions to the peace-building process, dialogue and national cohesion in our dear and beautiful country. Our vision and ambition is to increase voter turnout and preserve citizens' right to vote as a guarantee for inclusive and universally accepted electoral process in our country. Cameroon's government says the elections must take place as planned. About 15,000 councillors in 60 divisions across Cameroon make up the electoral college that will vote on March 12. Lawrence Tangwa, a councillor from Bui, an administrative unit where Jakiri is located, says voters, candidates and elections officials should not be punished for organizing or participating in elections. I know that they are treated quite right, but it is the right of the state to protect citizens and property. It is a civic responsibility to take part in elections. It is your own way that you participate in local development, because if you are not there to choose the persons that will have to lead you, certainly people will make wrong choices for you. And I think that uh, they are all mobilizing towards the 12th of March. Separatists in English-speaking Western Cameroon launched their rebellion in 2017 after what they said was years of discrimination by the country's French-speaking majority. The conflict has killed more than 3,500 people and displaced more than a half million, according to the United Nations. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. The Associated Press says at least 145 passengers are missing and feared dead after a boat full of goods and animals sank at night on a river in northwestern Democratic Republic of Congo. Officials say about 55 people survived the disaster on the Lilongo River late Tuesday near the town of Basankusu. The president of a civil society group in the area told the AP that the motorized boat was overloaded. The news service says boat sinkings are common in remote parts of the DRC, which lacks adequate roads for travel. U.S. officials say food insecurity in Africa will worsen this year because of climate change, conflict and market disruptions caused partly by Russia's war on Ukraine. The U.S. is helping African farmers adapt to climate change with drip irrigation and other water-saving measures to boost food production. Mohamed Yasuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. Speaking online to journalists Thursday from Malawi, Kerry Fowler, Special Envoy for Global Food Security, said the drivers of 2022 food insecurity in Africa are continuing. As much as I wish I could bring the, the hopeful message that the food crisis will be over this year, we have to recognize that the chief drivers of the food crisis are still with us. And it behooves us, therefore, to, to be looking uh, at solutions for all of those uh, or adaptive measures. Um, that's the situation as I see it today. 
climate change, the global pandemic, conflicts and Russia's aggression in Ukraine have all been blamed for Africa's food insecurity and hunger. According to the 2022 Global Food Crisis Report, one in every five Africans goes to bed hungry and at least 140 million people on the continent face acute food insecurity. African farmers continue to practice traditional farming methods, but the weather has been unpredictable in recent years, causing farmers to produce less food. Farmers complain about high seed and fertilizer prices and a failure to produce enough food for the population. Drought also has contributed to food insecurity in some parts of the continent, particularly the Horn of Africa, destroying livestock and crops and forcing people to rely on humanitarian assistance for food and medicine. In 2022, the U.S. government invested $11 billion in humanitarian assistance in 55 countries, including some from Africa. Dina Esposito, the U.S. Aid Global Food Crisis Coordinator, said her government is also supporting African farmers in producing their own food to overcome hunger and food insecurity. We've also um, got a global hunger initiative that is exactly focused on what are the right systems and approaches to advancing agriculture, taking that very localized context in mind, advancing drip irrigation and other forms of water saving measures where it makes sense, helping farmers adapt to a changing climate in, in other ways. Fundamentally, always looking at, we see our role really as helping these farmers shift from subsistence farming to more intensified and sustainable production. Esposito also said the U.S. government is committed to partnering with leaders to advance global food insecurity and solve global hunger. Coach Oscar teaches land, resource management and agricultural technology at the University of Nairobi. He says no single African country can solve the food crisis alone and there's a need for a regional approach to deal with growing hunger on the continent. We need our nations to work together because of our connectedness, you know. Uh, we are one ecosystem at the end of the day. I'm telling you, our animals are in Uganda and some of them are going to Tanzania and all that others coming in. So we need to have regional strategies. Our African leaders need to have regional strategies to support our communities because this is a regional problem. Uh, and of course, we need to see investments, you know, significant investments into this production, especially in agriculture. You look at uh, uh, the national budgets of these African countries, how much goes into agriculture uh, because uh, we cannot have a peaceful nation, we cannot have a prosperous nation development without people producing food for themselves and enough food for themselves. Last October, African ministers of agriculture meeting in Ethiopia pledged to support sustainable food security, transform food systems and build a viable, commercial and productive agricultural ecosystems on the continent. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There, you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. 
The United Nations reports a new attack by local militia in northeastern Congo has killed seven people. The Associated Press says the assault took place Wednesday at a camp for displaced people nine kilometers east of Jugu in Ituru province. UN peacekeepers have been deployed to the area. The attack follows the discovery of up to 50 bodies in mass graves near the town of Bunya in Ituru by the same militia, the Cooperative for the Development of Congo, or CODECO. The UN says the violence is exasperating the humanitarian situation in Ituru, which hosts 1.5 million displaced people. Nigerian authorities say armed men attacked a village last night in north-central Benue State near an IDP camp, killing at least eight people and beheading some of them. Timatia Biezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. Benue State Security Advisor Paul Hemba told Lagos-based Channels TV the attack happened around 9 in the evening Thursday in the town of Makodi, just opposite via Bagana camp for internally displaced people. Hemba said the attackers decapitated some of the victims. He said eight people were injured, three of them with severe chest injuries. Benue State Police spokesman Yar Sewese spoke by phone Friday to VOA. At the moment, I can only confirm there was an attack last night. They are on it. Some persons died, some were injured. The commissioner himself is on his way to that place. Maybe in two hours' time, they will be done with that venue and they will speak with me. No group has claimed responsibility for the attack, but authorities suspect ethnic Fulani herders. Farmers and herders frequently clash over land and resources in northwest and central Nigeria, especially in Benue and neighboring Nasarawa State. Scores were killed in clashes last year between the communities, including children. The attack is the second in two years near Abagana camp after one in 2021 that left seven people dead. The camp has been providing refuge to hundreds who fled a 2018 attack blamed on herders that left 73 people dead. Nigerian authorities are struggling to contain a wave of violence ahead of February 25th elections. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, Rogue Russia, and Maximum Xi. Those are just two of the top ten global risks that chairman of the Eurasia Group Cliff Kupchin warns about in 2023. Besides Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine and Beijing's authoritarian grip, Kupchin cautions about the growing gap between the haves and have-nots, which disproportionately affects women and girls. The top ten global risks in 2023, this Saturday and Sunday, on The Voice of America. Ghana, this week, for a third time, extended a deadline for Ghanaian bondholders to exchange their government bonds for lower-value ones. Ghana is struggling to restructure its crippling debt to secure support from the International Monetary Fund for its economic recovery. Most domestic creditors are retirees who refuse to exchange their bonds because of the impact it would have on their retirement. Kent Mensah reports from Accra, Ghana. 
Retired Ghanaian teacher Selassie Entry invested all a severance package in treasury bills and bonds, which the government wants to devalue. Ghana reached an agreement in December with the International Monetary Fund for a $3 billion support package. But the West African country must first restructure its debt, including domestic bonds. The move is opposed by most Ghanaian bondholders, who are retirees like Entry. She tells VOA that revaluing the bonds is a raw deal that will squeeze her and her two children. The interest that we're making on these bonds is what we're using to pay school fees, pay rent, put food on the table for the family, uh, medical bills and all that. So right now, if government decides that it's going to give zero coupon, it's not going to pay any interest whatsoever in 2023, where does that leave all of us? Mm. Ghana's government has supported then retracted the possibility of exempting individual domestic debt holders from the restructuring. On Monday, the government announced a third extension of the deadline to January 31 for Ghanaian bondholders to agree to swap them but has offered little incentive. Speaking to journalists in Accra Thursday after meeting bondholders, Ghana's finance minister Ken Oforiata said, he thinks he can convince most to comply. We are confident that we'll get there, but I think in all of us sits down to, to, to think about it, um, it will be good for us. But I think the clarity for all of us that it is a voluntary program. You know, we have anticipated uh, maybe getting up to 80%, which will still put us within the perimeter. Um, so we are asking everybody um, to really join. There may be things we may do um, to mitigate the impact. Independent financial analyst Charles Mensah says Ghana's government must do more to attract the domestic bondholders. The individuals who took their money to the fund managers to invest on their behalf expect that the borrower or the user of the fund will pay them. Indeed, most of the bonds prior to this crisis were paying out between 17% to 25% per annum. So at least some 5 to 7.5% should be paid on the amount that they have invested. Ghana has defaulted on most of its external debt and last week requested to restructure its bilateral debt under the G20 Group of World Nations. Of Ghana's $28.4 billion in external debt, $1.9 billion is owed to the Paris Club of major creditor countries and $1.7 billion to China. More than 28 groups this week called for international creditors to cancel a large proportion of Ghana's debt as it struggles to stabilize its economy. A major exporter of cocoa and gold, Ghana's inflation hit a record 54% in December. The government hopes creditors can compromise on a debt swap before the end of January to improve its chances of sealing a deal with the IMF. Kent Mensah for VOA News, Accra, Ghana. The UN says South Sudan and several other countries are in arrears and will lose their voting rights in the 193-member General Assembly. Other members include Equatorial Guinea, Lebanon, Venezuela, and Dominica. According to the Associated Press, South Sudan owes a minimum payment of $196,130, and Equatorial Guinea owes $619,103. Gabon, which is which owes $61,686, is serving a two-year term on the Security Council and will not be affected. 
noted, UN rules state that members whose debt is equal to or more than their contributions for the preceding two years lose their voting rights. But the General Assembly has the authority to restore voting rights if it decides the failure to pay is beyond the control of the member. The Associated Press says that three African countries that fall into this category are Comoros, Sao Tome and Principe and Somalia. The And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Jackson Nfungane, and our engineer, Bob Bass, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.